The following episode contains descriptions of body horror, gore, and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The following is an excerpt from Arthur Machen's The Inmost Light, in which a medical examiner and an amateur detective discuss the state of Agnes Black's remains. My dear sir, I said, you surprise me extremely. You say that it was not the brain of a human being. What was it then? The brain of a devil. He spoke quite coolly and never moved a muscle. The brain of a devil, he repeated, and I have no doubt that Black found some way of putting an end to it. I don't blame him if he did. Whatever Mrs. Black was, she was not fit to stay in this world. Will you have anything more? No? Good night. Good night. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we finish Arthur Machen's The Inmost Light. Published along with the novella The Great God Pan, both works are prime examples of what is now known as decadent horror. The genre is often associated with themes of deviance and excess, and favored by Victorian writers like Oscar Wilde. I will continue telling this story as Mr. Dyson, a man investigating the death of his friend, Agnes Black. Hours after she supposedly died, he saw either her or a monster that looked like her in the window of her home. Searching for a reasonable explanation, he set up a meeting with the city medical examiner. But the examiner claimed that there was something horribly wrong with Agnes's body. Something had taken up residence in her brain, and Dr. Black was right to have killed her. Dyson was furious with the examiner, but when he saw a rune-covered orange organ pulsing inside her skull, he had to agree that it was something strange. But he didn't share the examiner's defense of Dr. Black. He believed Dr. Black might have implanted the form on purpose, which meant it was a cold-blooded, murder. Coming up, Dyson is determined to confront the scientist come hell or high water. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Too Faced Cosmetics and Better Than Sex Mascara. The name literally says it all. This mascara is that good. There is a formula for anyone and everyone available in original, waterproof, and chocolate that thickens, lengthens, and curls to give you all the drama and volume. Or try the new Naturally Better Than Sex. It has a 98% naturally derived formula. Shop Too Faced Better Than Sex Mascara at Sephora today. As a professor of the humanities, I have never expected to find myself embroiled in a murder case. Were it not for my staunch love of Agnes, I might have been content to let her widower, Dr. Stephen Black, live out the rest of his days unbothered. But Agnes hadn't received that chance. I could not give it to him either. The medical examiner believed that Agnes was no longer of this world, that her murder had been an act of mercy. It's true that she no longer had a human's brain, that something strange was afoot, but to my mind, that's what damned Stephen Black. I had only seen him in passing as he'd gone from his lab to the kitchens and back. His obsession seemed to have prevented him from acknowledging any sort of social call. I had thought it rude, but Agnes always made excuses for him. What I did know is that he was no ordinary scientist. Agnes had told me that he was obsessed with the unseen, the undiscovered, and she had loved her husband more than anything. You could see it in her eyes when she spoke about him. Her dry wit would crumble, then she'd be awash with emotion. She would have done anything for him. I suspect that the brain in her body had something to do with Dr. Black's experiments. I needed to prove it. The most logical place to start was his house. I hadn't been back since I'd seen that horrible vision in the window. At the time, I worried that she was a ghost, burning in eternal torment. I didn't want to believe my own senses, but if the timing of her death was as the medical examiner had suspected, I may not have been entirely wrong. The home had changed. It had only been a week, but the Black's house looked as if it had been abandoned long ago. Vines creeped up the walls, closing in towards the door, and though Harlesden was a bustling neighborhood, the house itself was eerily quiet, and everything inside looked gray. I stood at the step and knocked. I expected Dr. Black's butler, who had made a habit of being rude to me when I asked about Agnes, but this time he did not even deign to come to the door. This could only have been per Dr. Black's instructions. I continued knocking for the better portion of an hour. Eventually, the shopkeeper across the street called out to me. He's not home! It was the same man who had helped me after I'd had the horrible vision of Agnes. Do you know when he'll return? The shopkeeper's eyes flitted warily to the house. Don't think he intends to return. Hasn't been seen in a week. Rumor is he's staying at the pub. I asked him which pub, but he only shrugged his broad shoulders. I thanked the shopkeeper for his help throughout this ordeal. I had no choice but to enter a part of London I had hoped to never visit. I spent several weeks in the pubs and gin palaces looking for Dr. Black. I drank with grave robbers and anatomists, burglars and crime bosses. I overheard stories about slitting men's throats over the smallest of arguments. This was the right crowd for Dr. Black, yet he did not appear. My frustration grew. Each day that Dr. Black did not appear, I had a different drink. I doubted the shopkeeper's information and gave into the underground. By the fourth week, I was drinking to excess. Of course, that Sunday, 
My perseverance paid off. I had just left a pub and was stumbling over in the streets, my feet slick from an ale-coated floor. I lost my bearings and almost fell head first into the cobblestones, but a hand steadied me. I looked up, seeing at first only his grey, tattered hat. I thanked him. Then he straightened his frame and the street lamps cast a soft glow on his features. It was Dr. Black. He didn't look as cold as I remembered, but he did have the faraway look of a man with much on his mind. I immediately grew angry, but I didn't let him see it. He steadied me against the wall, then turned to leave. Desperate, I called out, You know of any place to sleep around here? Black sized me up, muttering something to himself about brigands. He didn't trust me. Not yet. Please, sir, I said. The love of my life has left me. Dr. Black sighed. After some time, he said, Come this way, sir. I can share my room for the night. I could use the company. We walked in silence toward a run-down building. It looked as if it was leaning toward the side, but I wasn't sure if it was the alcohol or poor construction. He unlocked the door and led me up a pair of grimy stairs. I heard the yells of a landlady farther down. He was behind on rent, she yelled. She added something about a shiny object, but he ignored her. He directed me to a room at the back of the hall. The old door squeaked as we entered. He closed it without any concern for the darkness that followed, so I sat in the pitch black, alone, with a murderer. He lit a candle, then several others, some down to the nibs. When there was just enough light for me to see his face, I realized he looked nothing like I remembered. His forehead was deeply wrinkled, his hair was graying and patchy, purple bags hung under his eyes, deeply distressed. He turned towards an old dresser, seemingly hiding something from me as he opened the top drawer. Curiosity had suddenly sobered me. Suddenly, a brilliant light filled the room. A hissing, pleading whisper filled my ears, but when Dr. Black closed the drawer, both the sound and the light were gone. He turned back to me. I pretended to stumble again. I couldn't have him think I had noticed he was hiding something. Is it just me, or is the room slightly off kilter? He laughed darkly. <laughs> I'm afraid that's just the spirits you've ingested. My space is small, but it'll do for a few hours rest. And company is so valuable to me right now. It was a truly strange thing to say, but it left me an opening. Company was meant to talk, yes? And the best way to make conversation was with a question. I pulled up a ratty chair and sat opposite him. I couldn't endeavor to hope for an immediate confession, but perhaps a reminder would be enough to push him to consider his situation. What brings a man like you to such desperate quarters? His eyes glanced out the window. Endless curiosity. His answer was frustratingly vague, yet I swallowed my anger. I felt I had to empathize with him to elaborate. Curiosity is a good thing. It adds to the mind. Dr. Black swallowed, glancing towards the dresser. Yes, but there are also consequences. I could feel his guilt, but still, no matter how hard I tried, I could not get him to elaborate. It seems my answer lay in the top drawer. Dr. Black rose up from his seat. He didn't wish me goodnight, but I heard him settle on his mattress. This was all the information he'd willingly give me tonight. 
but the operative word was willingly. I pretended to sleep in my chair. A few hours in, when I could be certain of Dr. Black's snores, I rose from my spot. With the softest of movements, I pulled the drawer open. I placed my hand inside and felt the cold of tin in my palms. I was nearly overwhelmed with anticipation, unsure what I would find. A murder weapon? Some glinting knife or sacrificial dagger? A sinister potion in a glittering glass bottle? But it wasn't an object of the occult. It was a small tin box. Puzzled, I leaned forward to open it. A slam came from outside the door. Two voices were yelling on the other side. Open up, doctor. You'll pay your rent with that bauble of yours or in blood. I shoved the unopened box in my pocket, but the knocking woke Dr. Black. He noticed. He grabbed me by my shirt collar, eyes blazing. What have you taken from me? I sputtered, unable to think of an explanation. The men on the other side of the door were kicking the wood. We know you've got it. You can see the glow through the window. Dr. Black tightened his hold on me. I showed you kindness. Give me what you have taken. The door gave way and two men tumbled inside. I felt Dr. Black's grip slacken and I took my chance. I darted past the invaders and ran down the hallway. The box was heavy in my pocket. As I sped down the stairs, I heard footsteps coming from below. Panicked, I turned the corner of the descending staircase and threw myself into the hollow space beneath the stairs. Dr. Black would surely give me up. The men wanted the box so badly. I held my breath. I could faintly hear the room, the men threatening, the landlady stepping in, and then the shink of a blade. Someone choking on something wet, a body falling hard to the floor, items being taken, then the men running away. I could have gone back and tried to get any final words, but by the sound of it, Dr. Black was dead. I was grateful for my life and hated Dr. Black. I would have seen him hung for what he might have done to Agnes, but any true account of her death died with him there. Yet when I was certain the robbers had gone and I turned to leave, I remembered the heavy object in my pocket. I pulled it out, clutching the tin box in my hands. Any hope I had of knowing what had happened to Agnes was in this treasure of her husband's. The thing more precious to him than she was. I had to open it. Up next, Dr. Black's horrible plan is revealed. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast. 
airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Now, back to the story. I went home as quickly as I could and closed all the curtains in my house, afraid that I'd been followed. I held Dr. Black's tin box in my hands, studying it. He'd been willing to risk death to keep it secret. He had not sent the robbers after me, but died in my stead. Whatever was in it was not meant for taking, nor for viewing. The box itself was nothing remarkable. While it took up the size of my palm, it was dented in places and bore the label of a well-known business on the front. I believe it was used for sewing supplies. I'd seen Agnes fiddling with a similar one once or twice, but I did not think this one belonged to her. I opened it, slowly. Light exploded from the cracks. Jewel tones swept about the walls. My room became awash with color, as though I was standing in a chapel at noon. Purples, blues, and greens danced around me, flickering with the candle and firelight. It was the effect of stained glass without any glass at all. It was sheer beauty, but nothing compared to what was nestled in the box. It was a gemstone, probably opal, but as if there was a live flame twisting and turning inside. It caught the light with the same rainbow quality, but it wasn't white in nature. It was a more pigmented orange that brought everything to life. I brought my hand to it. It was cold, but it made me feel warm inside. Faint whispers rose around me. It was almost as if it was alive. I could see why Dr. Black had wanted to hold on to it. I lifted the jewel carefully. Underneath was a small notebook. Dr. Stephen Black, MD, engraved on the cover. I couldn't believe my luck, but then I couldn't trust it. Why would a man as secretive as Stephen Black keep a journal? I flipped through the book until I came to a section of cramped handwriting. The account as follows is not for those who wish to follow in my footsteps. Though I have done what no man before me has accomplished, I cannot recommend my path. The costs of success were high. My name is Dr. Stephen Black. Though I am a physician by trade, my interests have always tended towards the strange, chemistry, alchemy, and measures of folk healing. Out of all my interests in the occult, the most important to me was the notion of a soul, a spark that sets us apart from other beings. I became convinced that I could isolate the soul. I spent years experimenting, trying to understand the mechanics behind it. But when I became certain that it could be done, my mind thought about the afterwards. What would take a soul's place in an empty body? The question consumed me. I stopped eating and barely slept. I did not speak about this directly, but it was clear I was obsessed with something. So much so that Agnes, my sweet, dear wife, 
asked me how she could help. I answered. I told her she could give me her soul. I did not tell her why, only that I would keep it safe. We selected this opal together, but as I prepared her for the procedure, she seemed to figure out my plan. She asked what would happen to her body afterwards. I was certain she would run screaming, but Agnes, the greatest woman the world has ever seen, wiped away her tears and agreed to continue with the experiment. She said if anything were to possess her body, I needed to kill it. I gave my assurance that I would. I did not say how long I would wait. The procedure was a success. Her soul turned an ordinary opal into a work of art, and I found myself sneaking glances whenever I could. I held it in my hands for hours, marveling at the color she brought to the world. But when I wasn't watching the stone, I was watching her body lying vacant on the floor. Several months later, I was at work when I received an urgent note from my butler. I was to come home at once. Agnes had risen from the dead. I had imagined beauty and purity, but it was something else entirely. An abomination, the likes of which can barely be described. When I got home, I found it feasting on my butler, and when I tried to touch it or examine it, I saw the gates of hell. There was only one thing to do. I put on gloves and sawed Agnes's head open. There, I saw the core of the creature. I could only hope to stop its growth, so I bound it with every protection rune I knew, then fled. The creature now lies in my home, immobile, but alive, waiting. If you are reading this, something has likely happened to me. You have my wife's soul in your possession now. Do take care of her. I did not deserve her, but she was mine. And now, she is yours in turn. That is a responsibility I did not understand until it was too late. There were no other words left on the page for me to examine. I felt ill. The colors of the jewel had turned garish and bright. I closed the tin. My brain struggled with all that I'd read. The thought of Agnes giving up her life for her husband's obsession was too much to bear. I could not even imagine her existence now. Could she hear me? Could she see? Were the whispers I heard her cries? The longer I sat in my study, the more reviled I was by the whole affair. Dr. Black did not deserve Agnes's devotion. There was only one thing I could do. I pulled the jewel from its case and said a prayer for Agnes's soul. When I was finished, I dropped the stone to the ground. I listened to the whispers that emanated from the opal, hoping they would tell me if I was on the right track, that this would free her from her prison her husband had made. The voices sounded more insistent, but not pained. I pressed my foot down until I heard a crack. The light shifted from rainbow-hued to white. I saw the briefest silhouette of Agnes and then darkness. Her soul was finally free. But the horror that Dr. Black had wrought, that throbbing thing bound in runes, was sleeping in the care of his sympathizers, incubated in the corpse of my dearest friend. 
and one day soon, it would awaken. Arthur Machen is often cited as one of the progenitors of weird fiction, a genre made famous by Algernon Blackwood and H.P. Lovecraft. The genre is filled with unknowable cosmic horrors and their cult-like devotees like our very own Dr. Black. But he is not this story's eponymous character. The Inmost Light draws its title from Agnes Black's Opal. Though she has little actual voice in the story, she hangs over it, her pain haunting the men investigating her death. The inmost light leaves many horrible things to the imagination, but the unseen violence in this story is vivid in its implications. Agnes Black suffered greatly before her husband ended her life. Though he admits she suffered, he never takes full responsibility nor do we know if she actually went willingly. Many Victorian ghost stories dwell on the tragic destruction of women, but what makes the inmost light so disturbing is the distance it puts between Agnes and the reader. The off-screen action causes the reader to imagine terrors far worse than Machen could write. It is this distance that makes Agnes more than just a Victorian scream queen. All of the violence committed against Agnes happens off-screen, or in this case, off-page, which prevents us from either fetishizing or dehumanizing her. Machen's interest in exploring the primal, the pagan, and the occult is not at all unique for the period. His treatment of Agnes is. Agnes Black was surrounded by men who couldn't or didn't want to help her. But by keeping her in a literal and literary stasis, Machen forces us to imagine that somehow we could. Which makes what destroys her all the more frightening. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with another chilling tale. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemick and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.